All right, welcome to this week's edition of Dugout Dish Podcast. I'm Andy Kirikides, as usual, joined by my co-host, Coach Glasser. Coach, how we doing? Great, how are you? I'm excited. We have, uh, we have a wonderful guest to join us today, so I'm going to pass it off to you to, to provide a little intro. Yeah, tonight we have um, first-time guest, <clears throat> long-time listener of the show, um, somebody who I've actually had the pleasure of knowing for, um, a very long time. I actually slid into, um, the spot that he had vacated when I started coaching at Siena. So I've known, uh, coach Tatoma, who is the current head coach at the university of San Francisco, uh, since 2009 ish. Um, so we've had a long, uh, a long relationship and he, there's, there's not a lot of better guys in this game, um, who, who are, you know, not only really good baseball coaches, but really good human beings as well. Um, and, and Rob's right at the top of that list. So I'm super excited to have Rob on tonight. Um, he's got a lot of, he's been to a lot of places. He's had success everywhere he's been. And, you know, I'm excited to, you know, hear what he has to say about the recruiting process and be on the podcast tonight and, and pick his brain about things. So Rob, welcome. Steve, Andy, thanks, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. I was starting to think I wasn't important with all the uh, guys I've coached with and all the guys you've had on. I'm like, man, when am I going to be important enough for people to listen to? So I'm glad you guys finally made it down the list to my turn. We had to we had to work the kinks out before we you know before we brought on all the heavy hitters that are that are really good. So you know we have we have really good things to come here. So you know we we had to work the kinks out before we before we get to the really the really good stuff. Good way to spin that one. <laughs> I will. I will say I wore my New York hat tonight because you and I are both um, New York born and bred. So I, I, that's why I went with the New York hat. Um, even though you know you are a Jets fan, so you got to be fired up for uh, for this season for the you know umpteenth time to see what they're what they're going to do. I hope they don't break your heart this year. They will, but this time it's real, though. So, you know, it's only been 39 years of waiting for this year, and we'll wait for next year when that one comes. But I am excited. It's fun. And more fun when you're not in New York. It's, I mean, more so with the Yankees, but they stink now. But uh, yeah. with the Jets, nobody's a fan anywhere, barely in New York. So uh, it's a little different. But they hate Rodgers. Uh, well, they like Rodgers in NorCal because he's a NorCal guy. But they they like him here because the Niners always knocked him out. So uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to set him in the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, all right. So before we kick it off with questions and stuff, just give um, us and the listeners just a rundown of, of how you've gotten to um, San Francisco. Sure. I, I played Division II baseball at Mercy College in Dobbs Ferry, New York. So uh, not the most prominent school, not the most prominent program. I guess I could tell you what kind of player I was. But um, I love baseball and always knew I wanted to be involved in the game. And since they wouldn't let me play anymore, uh, coaching was the next best option. So I uh, went to grad school at Manhattanville College in Purchase, New York, Division Three school. Uh, lucky enough that Jeff Caulfield needed extra help, I guess. And I enrolled in the physical education graduate program and for two years coached under him and learned a lot. And um you know, it was it was fun. You know, you're 20. I was the same age as the guys, and I knew everything in the world. I knew a lot more then than I know now. It was so much fun learning under him, another young head coach um, at the starts of a program. We actually won our conference in 07, and then 
my graduate degree was up. I was coaching in the NACBL for two summers with Dan Barry and uh, had some phys ed job offers that paid actual money. And I turned those down because I was brilliant back then and decided to email every school in the country and wanted to coach Division One baseball. And two schools in America got back to me. One was your beloved Maris Red Foxes and the other was Temple University. And I had a feeling you guys were going to be associated with Maris down the road. So I wanted to stay as far away as I could from that. And I chose to move to Philadelphia and coach at Temple University under Rob Valley. I'm very appreciative of uh, him giving me that offer. And I was a volunteer assistant, 24 years old, knew nothing, uh, got in a car, moved to Philly, lived in an apartment that was you know, up and down balls would roll down into our living room from where he was in the door. So whatever we could afford at the time, but, um, the best part of that. And with most of my jobs is like the connection you made there led to the next one. Coach Casey Fay was on staff at Temple and he, at the end of that first year said, there's a job open at Siena um, under coach Rossi, who had been there time very long and he coached another 20 years after that just retired recently as we all know so um that job led to Siena where I was the hitting coach uh second assistant another non-paid position but this was big time because got to recruit and run around the country and well not so much the country but run around the northeast as we all know in uh Siena with coach Rossi just handed that schedule and says go see it <laughs> yeah at the time you're like what the heck man but it was the the one of the most valuable years in my coaching career because you're going from at that time baseball heaven to upstate New York and Utica at something and events that happened in Legion Ball in '88 that he still made us go to and all the things you saw the full realm of recruiting from meaningful events to things he made to say four days after there wasn't one player worth recruiting but uh, you had to be I'm there at good. the start you had to be there at the start and you had to wait till the last pitch was thrown too. Yeah, and to this day, you still be the first to sign in if there's a sign-in sheet. Make sure you're there till the end and don't order a double cheeseburger on the road. That's a little too expensive for the budget. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I met some great people up there. Uh, coach on the same staff with one of your prior guests, Jimmy Jackson, who's one of my best friends in life now. Um, that was a fun time. He stuck around there and got things going. And when I left, Keith came on board and they got really good common denominator. Once I leave, places get a lot better. So it's, I like to say it's the work I put in, but maybe it's just they need better coaches after I'm gone. But it was fun to see that success. And um, from there, we we had a really good weekend, the last weekend of the year at Siena, where we played at Iona and we scored a million runs. And that seemed to really impress Pat Carey that weekend. So I took a lot of the credit for our offense being great uh, that weekend. And uh, the good part of that job is – Got to be the, I guess, the recruiting coordinator, top assistant at Iona. But the real good thing there is I was coaching already for four years at the time. And it's, a, it's, a, it's hard to stay in the business, as we all know. It's hard to stick around. But that job enabled me to move back home and not have to worry about making money, per se. And lucky that my family has always been there to support me. And I was there four years with Pat. Wasn't the best of times record-wise, but another great learning experience because we all know Pat, we let you do your thing. And um, there was a lot of trial and error in recruiting, trial and error in coaching. Coached every position there under him. I, I'll always be appreciative that he gave me that opportunity. And at the end of that fourth year, it was really getting to that, you know, that 30-year-old age, you know, where it's like, I got to figure out how I'm going to 
live. I can't live in mom and dad's house much longer. I got to do something. Uh, I was really at the breaking point. Was uh, interviewing for stuff down in Florida with high school friends and coaching and teaching in high school and uh, went for some division three jobs, couldn't land them. And in the same day that our full-time D3 job turned me down, uh, I was lucky enough that Kevin Leighton called me the same night, went from an ultimate low to a an ultimate high. And he offered me the second assistant job full-time at Fordham. It was my first full-time job in baseball. And uh, for me, that was the life-changing moment. Appreciative of everyone who gave me those opportunities before. But when I got there with Kevin and Jimmy Jackson was there, which was part of the help that get me the job, no doubt. Um, They had already been there for two years and were starting to build something. And I was really felt like for the first time in my life, I was at a place where you could win. And they hadn't won. Uh, been a while since Fordham had won, but I knew after all the things I had been through, this was a school that if you do your thing and get get some type of system going and work really hard, finally had the resources available that you could win. And lucky enough, uh, a lot of teams, a lot of losing, a lot of building, but my sixth year in 2019, we won the conference tournament. Uh, It was an awesome experience. We won the Atlantic 10. The first time Fordham went to the regionals in 21 years. Went to Morgantown, West Virginia. Didn't do so well. We hung in there, but didn't win any games there. But it was probably the highlight of, uh, besides any personal stuff, team-wise, the coolest experience I've ever been a part of was winning that conference championship as part of Kevin's staff. And um, Fordham changed my life. I'll always be grateful. I love that place. I always will. Um, I always thought someday that would be the place where the dream job landed. But, you know, that's not how things work out. And uh, what it did do was lead to – Becoming a head coach at FDU, where I spent three years, uh, got named the head coach that summer right after we won, and Brad Hurlbert, the AD, made it very clear he was going to hire someone that won. So I know if we didn't win that tournament, <laughs> I had never won anything really before that. So it's like I said, one thing always leads to the to the next, and I'll be appreciative of FDU. As we all know, historically, FDU was uh, you know, a laughing stock for a lot of years. Way back, they were decent, but for 30 years there, it was – at the bottom, you know, all the butt of all jokes in college baseball and uh, started that first year and knew I was taking over that type of situation. And it was tough and <laughs> it was hard and COVID hit and the world shut down and, you know, it stunk because waited your whole life to be a head coach and never had a season, but it saved a lot of losses because we weren't that, <laughs> that good in year one. And then year two was, as we all know, 2021 masks, groups, barely having practice. It was more about putting a team on the field and keeping the institution an institution and keeping jobs for people than it really was about winning and losing. So really, year three in 2022 was pretty much what I considered my first year as a head coach and finally had some recruits there, different times through COVID, all that. But we had a really good run. And FDU, we got the team to the conference tournament for the first time in six years and we're kind of on some of the D1 baseball stuff, some national news and like that had never, I mean, I remember getting interviewed by shotgun with D1 baseball and he's like, uh, you know, Kendall told me I had to interview you guys because FDU has something going on that's relevant. and It's never happened in the history of his time in covering college baseball. So thought it was really cool what we accomplished. And, um, you know, USF had the job opening was going through an interim head coach situation and, you know, people ask, would you be interested? I'm like, well, of course. But as we all know, uh, baseball is very regionalized. So did I ever think it was a realistic possibility that they would even consider 
a head coach from New Jersey to be the head coach at the West Coast Conference University of San Francisco School. No, but I'm always going to throw my hat in the ring because I'm confident in what we do and what we can do. And one thing led to another. And no, I didn't know anybody at the school. No, I don't have family members that work at USF. We just um, did really well and kind of seemed to be what they were looking for at the time. So moved out here and summer of last year and just got through year one, but absolutely loving this opportunity. And I missed a lot of people on that, but we, I could talk for an hour because, as you guys know, there's 52 steps to getting every job and being a part of uh, some of these teams and programs. But every everything led to the next one, and I'm having a really fun time out here. And it's been a different in a lot of ways, but the same in a lot of ways. Really pumped up for what the future is. So that's, that's how I got to this point <laughs> in the long, short story of it. Yeah, I think there's um... – <clears throat> a special bond that um, us former assistants that coached with coach Rossi um, have because there's the, the, you don't necessarily understand what you go through. And I'm, I, it's, it's a phenomenal learning experience for young coaches to be able to work with him. Um, you know, the, like there's things that you have to do that you don't think are relevant. And I think, you know, at least for me, and I, I'll speak for myself and I, I you probably have a similar feeling about it like there's things that we did when we were 22 23 24 years old with him that like you're like why am i doing this this makes zero sense to me and then you become a head coach you're like oh okay i remember like that's why i had to do that back then like and it's you know he he did a phenomenal job being able to coach coaches um along with players but you know i'm for me i I feel the same way like i'm forever indebted to that guy i still talk to him just like i know you do as like you know it's very frequent that i still talk to him you know at least once a week so it's 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 great to have people like him you know who who you've worked for and and done things for like i wouldn't be still in this game doing this if it wasn't for that guy i mean he's the that's the truth and like looking at as a head coach now um for a few years like I hope assistant coaches and my players someday, I hope when I'm 65, 70 years old, I'm still giving advice to people 30, 40 years younger. But we, you, Jimmy, me, I mean, we still talk to them, call them coach, seek advice. Um, and I, yeah, you, you know, young coaches getting involved today, I don't think they would be able to go through it. And we were lucky to be in that position because it's helped me build staffs and try and be what Coach Rossi was to me. Uh, to them because I've served all those roles as you did, you know, worked for free, ran around. So you feel their, their situations as opposed to just kind of being that guy that says, Hey, go do this. You're an assistant, go do that. And I hope I never come off that way. Cause he wasn't like that. He just was teaching us how to be coaches. You know, yep. it's something I'll never forget. But I, I think the biggest thing you could say about him is we all still want to talk to him. We, we, we talk about him still, you know, yep. <laughs> And he, I mean, he called me the day he heard that I got this job. It was the first time. Like, he's not an emotional man. But, like, this was the first time I ever heard him. And I only worked for him for one year. You guys were a lot for hit To hear his voice and go, you know, Rob, I remember you sat in the office, you're 20-whatever, and you said, something's got to break soon. And I told you to stick with it. And he's like, he was genuinely, like, ecstatic that this type of job happened for for me after, you know, he knew he heard me venting and complaining in that last year at Iona where I didn't know if I can keep coaching. That's exactly what he told me. He said, you didn't know if you can stay in it. Look where you are five years later, 10 years later. So uh, yeah, he's awesome. We all could just hope to be as good of mentors and people as he is towards us. 
God, if if I have half the career that guy had, I, I'd be I'd be happy. It's it's incredible what he's been able to do for kids and for for coaches. Like they, they don't make him like him anymore. Um, but to kick this off, you know, what the first question we always ask everyone, like, you know, how do you guys identify players at San Francisco? All, I mean, all the ways nowadays, it's it's changing, ever changing every day. But, uh, you know, when people ask that, is it email? Is it social media? Is it you have to see him in person? Is it references? I, I've heard this answer from a lot of your guests. It is. It's all of those things. If you're not doing all of those things, I don't know how you're staying on the cutting edge of what's going on because, you know, we're, we all become dinosaurs and something. There's a lot of apps and social media stuff. I don't know what the heck's going on, but I know there's enough. I have enough knowledge of them that we better be on Twitter and we better be connecting with what these guys are using to as platforms for themselves uh, or else we're, we're just going to fall behind. You know, and I, this year, especially I've talked to more kids via just, messaging on Twitter and uh, things like that than ever before, which I never thought I'd be doing, but it's the easiest way to connect. It's a direct link to some videos they have. It's the cheapest way for them to promote themselves. It's free, basically. You can do all your own stuff and there's direct access. I'm a little jealous that these guys nowadays have this much direct access to myself, my staff and all of that. But uh, yeah, we do it all. I mean, we, I mean, obviously always would rather see the player and, have those multiple chances of seeing players, but um, especially being up here, there's a lot of players in Northern California, but compared to like where we coach all of our years, there's it's less schools and less of the diamond nations and the fields of four fields and a million kids shuffling through. You really got to go out and pick your battles as to what we're going to fly to, what we're going to drive to. Uh, so luckily for us, the world has shrunk and you can um, have some access to people in a much better fashion. And then there's always just, people like you guys and people that, you know, we trust to give us recommendations, but you, you guys have told us about, but we still want to see the guys. So we just try and figure out a way to make it work where we can at least see them one time with our own eyes. But yeah, all, all of the avenues are, there's probably ones we're missing, but we're trying to attack every avenue we can in the recruiting process. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a perfect world, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know you guys value certain straight traits specifically from a positional perspective. So I think it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on when you go watch a kid play, what are some of the things that you're looking at from a physical perspective that you value for the type of team that you're tra- that you're building, but also some of those less tangible pieces that either make you feel really good about a guy or something that might be a little bit of a turnoff into, you know, in terms of how you evaluate guys. That's a great one. I mean, I think we all, as we got started in this, you just went out and looked for the talent and you disregarded a lot of the other stuff that was going on on the field. Uh, as I've gotten older, I almost disregard the talent part a little more <laughs> than I ever did before because you know, we wouldn't be, you know, it's pretty easy to tell what the talent is, first of all. And, you know, at our level, it's the hyped up guys that you're really going to see anyway. There's really, there's not too much of that diamond in the rough stuff that we used to be able to find at a Legion game in the backwoods or any of that. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows everybody now. So, um, but you know, you got to have a certain level of talent. So definitely the physical piece is just, I'm not opposed to, there's nothing like size wise or velocity wise that are just like, there's breaking points, obviously. I mean, it's going to be really hard to be five foot one be a first baseman, you know, you're a small target. There's 
there's just things like that. But, you know, I take pride in the fact that we're, I've always been at school. It's just mid-major. You're never going to be able to get the guy who's the shiny object every single time. They could turn into that. Uh, but we got to find kind of things that might be, quote unquote, flawed in the normal evaluation process that we could either look past or we feel like it's something we can make a strength. So um, it just really depends on what you're trying to build and what you think your way to win at your program is. And um, but why we want to afford them is we really started attacking kind of undervalued guys with speed, um, just athletes who might not have had a position per se, but that we knew if you're athletic, you can play. So, um, but when I go to a field, honestly, usually it's uh, my staff, Eric or Kyle has told me about guys and they've done a heck of a job of reading through a lot of stuff. I still go out and still make those first contacts too, but they do it a lot more than me and they're great at what they do. Um, so when I go, it's, I already know they think the guy's good enough where they wouldn't be telling me to go. And now I'm just going to find out like the stuff you just said. I really watched the, a couple guys and what they look like in the dugout, how they interact with umpires. Just little, it's really hard to explain, but I think we all know it when we see it, just little mannerisms. What was that? You know, and I, I'm not at a program where we can run through guys. You know, if there's red flags, we have to move on to something else because if that red flag shows up in our program, we either got to find a way to change it or we got to pretty much deal with that problem for four years. And that's not something uh, <laughs> I'm too excited about, you know. And the one thing I do say is I really do think it's very easy to tell who loves the game of baseball. And that's what I'm – We all they all say they love it, you know, but do your actions match your words? I, I should be able to tell who loves it and who doesn't because you better love it to get to our level than you're going to have any success because <laughs> you're going to struggle all, a lot and you're going to have hard times and things are going to go bad and you're not going to be the best anymore, as we all know. And if you don't love it, you're just not going to get through those times because you'll just find the excuse or you find the little corner to run to where it's a little easier. Um, we got no chance at that. So, uh, Go to the field, and if this dude loves the game of baseball, and then it's harder nowadays, but if you could find that competition level, like they're always trying to win something. I mean, we run camps. We do all those things. you got guys don't even want to hustle to first base at a camp, at a school that they think they want to go to because things got a little hard that day or they popped up or the coach who's umpiring called a bad strike on him. <laughs> the adversity is going to be hard for you. So um, I don't know if that answers it, but it definitely – feel like you got to look in there and see if they love the game the same way you want your current team to love the game and see if they'll fit into that piece. No, I think it's a, it's a great answer. Um, college baseball is a lot. And I think that a lot of times, you know, high school players don't fully understand the level of commitment, the level of competition that goes on. And if, to your point, if you don't love showing up every day, it gets really tough to show up every day. Um, and yeah, that's a huge piece of it. Like finding out who's willing to battle through when things don't go well. Like when you're a freshman and you have no idea what's going on when you get to campus for the first three weeks, can you push through that to get comfortable? Or are you the kid who's, all right, I don't know if I want to do this. And um, kids who really love the hard stuff, they usually end up being pretty good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's like we just had meeting one day one today. And I got to remind myself with a lot of new guys coming from junior college, 
lower level programs now as a grad transfer to D1 or uh, high school, even they on day one have no idea what they're in for. I got to try and paint that picture of what it's going to be. Um, and even honestly, our returners don't know what it really takes to win because we weren't ready to win last year. So it was running a very different ship than the one um, that'll be ran this year. So it takes a lot. And like you said, it's hard and I'm, I'm envious at times, but at other times I'm like, I don't even know how these kids get through a day <laughs> of classes, of lift. Of, uh, you know, they do a lot more than what we did in our time of playing. That's for sure. And the amount of meetings and paying attention. And uh, there's so much technology now that we ask them to at least understand and sit through. Like, I didn't sit with any coaches in college and go over overlay videos of hitters and my mechanics, <laughs> but we kind of demanded of these guys now. Very, like it's, they, if they go through it and they stick to it, they, they can become really uh, good at this stuff, but it takes special types of people that I don't know if I was in my time good enough to be, you know, and that's why I'm, I love what our guys do, but it's, it, it's understandable when someone can't do it. <laughs> it's not the norm to be able to, go there and be really good and contribute at a division one level. That's what you're more. The norm is where you're going after that one doesn't work out. Unfortunately, that's the world we're in now. Yeah, no, it's different. It's different. It's changed. The, the technology piece is, um, is a really interesting variable that's got added because there's so much value in it, but you gotta, I feel like you got as a coach, you got to find, the sweet spot of let's use this to help you develop, but let's not lean on it to find things that aren't really there, or let's not let this be the ultimate decider of what we do. And I, I got to imagine that that's a, that takes some skill to, to be able to communicate that and get guys bought into something, but also not have them be totally reliant on the data to validate whether they're good or an adjustment needs to be made. I think if you're going to utilize data and analytics and technology, well, first off, you as the coaches better know what you're talking about or else it's just going to – because they actually – a lot of the younger guys know more about this stuff than at least I do. You know, at least they start from a more knowledgeable point. I I think – I mean, I use data. I use all that stuff to kind of paint the narrative and the picture that I'm trying to teach and just use it more of a tool to add on to maybe a point trying to get across to our team where – 15 years ago, we didn't have so much evidence to back it up. It was just like, I'm telling you this is the way to do it. Let's do it. And now there's picture evidence, number evidence. So that part's great, but it's really interesting, like you said. I mean, we I could bring on coaches. Um, if I wanted to hire a new staff, I hired all 22-year-olds. They would probably know more <laughs> than I do about some of the stuff I'm, I'm trying to teach from an analytics standpoint, and a technology standpoint. Um, but I think you got to, it's like anything else. You can overload them. You can overload everybody just by trying to prove how smart you are. We're really, we need values and standards and things that we think are important to winning baseball games and then go find the the numbers that would be something you'd search for um, or analytically would prove, all right, you got to get to this, this, and this uh, to be that type of player that's going to help us score X amount of runs or prevent X amount of runs. I mean, I think on the pitching side, it's been light years ahead of the hitting side, hitting starting to catch up. But um, I do think your pitching coach, which you guys know, Eric, he's, you know, he's awesome, but they need to be, I mean, 
if we're going to recruit pitchers, we better know what they're talking about. And he, he knows exactly what we're looking at on all the different um, analytical and Rapsodos and Trackmans. And if you don't know that, I think you fall behind. Uh, but it really does help shape make better players unless you're just throwing things out there to prove what you know. But it is a lot. It could be too much. You know, at the end of the day, still a simple game if we can use things to prove our point and be better teaching mechanisms and that's great but confusing them you can have all the tools in the world if you can't communicate and get your point across and show people and your players what we're trying to be and paint that picture for them you can you're in trouble so you got to get them to understand what you're trying to teach yeah the, i learned that late in my coaching career while i was at william mary the power of being able to find information that solidifies the point that you're trying to make from a coaching perspective. Like this is why we're trying to do this because when we do this, look at the outcomes we get from a playing perspective. Like, you know, we had different metrics. I can't run through them all, but those metrics were how we planned our practice because we were trying to coach to certain things. And I know that that's something that you guys do. Obviously we talked to Eric a ton, but um, it's interesting how you guys use it. Um, yeah. Metrics wise, then we're talking about the analytics stuff. How much does that factor in your evaluation of a player? And like, are there certain data points that you come across that you may hold, may hold a little bit more weight when you're evaluating guys? Well, on the pitching, pitching side, for, for sure. I know, um, I lean heavy on Eric, uh, when we recruit pitchers because he's way more knowledgeable. I mean, I, I've recruited pitchers and we've developed pitchers at all the places I've been, but he's kind of way ahead of me when it comes to, and he should be, because <laughs> that's what he's got to focus on. But he's the one who has to coach the pitchers on the day-to-day, everything they do routine-wise. So um, what he looks for is most important. And I've learned, I've tried to learn as much as I can from him uh, exactly what he's looking for, because I want that to be aligned I've been on stabs where the recruiting isn't in alignment and everyone's blaming everybody else for the types of players that are coming in. So um, I just think you work harder and you find the guys, but I know he looks, it's not just like spin rate and it's not, it's, it's a lot of the horizontal break and the vertical break. It's what the ball's doing out of the hand. It's um, height of release point where your head is. I mean, it's, it's a lot but to him. It's not, you know, he's simplified it to him. Um, on that side of things, but it's great because it's not just, I finally learned that all 89s on the radar gun are not created equal, you know, and I, we all kind of knew that back in the day. Uh, why is his 89 getting rocked? Why is this guy throwing 93 and everyone seems to square him up? And now we've learned that tunneling of pitches, the, the way it looks to a hitter, where it's coming from, all that matters. So that's been awesome. So we definitely utilize some of that on the pitching side. Uh, but on the on position player side, I mean, to me, you can throw a lot of numbers out, at least to me. Like, this is where I've still yet to work at a school where we're getting the top notch, every metric hitter out of the box and all that stuff. So still think it falls into a lot of intangible stuff. And it might sound kind of foolish, but again, if you, I know, I'm confident in myself and my coaches that if you play this game hard and you give me everything you have and you have already reached that, kind of level of ability where we know you're close to everyone we compete against and we can get a lot out of you, but you better love it. You better 
go hard. You know, you better be willing to put in the work. But um, we want guys that can run. We want guys that are athletic. Um, but running to me isn't a straight line, 60-yard dash at 6'6", because we've all seen those guys that then they can't get out of the box running. They can't move laterally, playing shortstop. They're a six-five center fielder that can't get to any ball hit over their head or, or in front of them. Uh, so these are the things. It's hard. It's hard to recruit position players because you can see guys a lot of times and not much happens. Um, catchers, it'll be uh, near and dear to Keith's heart. But what, what do we care about your pop time if we if we uh, do a good job of holding runners? If uh, you have this great pop time, but it's never in a zone where we can catch and tag a guy. So does it matter? Of course, I'm not going to recruit guys that can't reach second base and it's a two seven. Uh, but I do think there's a wide range of numbers that if you fall into that realm and all the different categories, now it's all the other stuff that at least at our level makes you a good player. Not. So makes it hard in the recruiting because people will tell us about a player. He's got all the measurable numbers, quote unquote, and then they'll come to camp and we'll watch him in a three day tournament and just doesn't play hard enough for doesn't really have a position, but I will tell you the one thing I do value is defense. I think that's undervalued in today's um, recruiting. You know, you go flip through all the Twitters, look at all the recruiting services, um, Instagrams and social medias, and it's just real after real of hitting the bats at bats. Once in a while, there's a diving play mixed in there that they need or something, but there's never just what can they do? And it's hard to measure. I get it. You'd have to have the camera on these people all day long. Hope two balls are hit to their glove side or their throw side. But uh, you learn fast that if you don't play a position, your value is extremely less because you can only impact the game on one side of the ball and everybody goes cold hitting at some point from Otani to the 40th player on our roster. You're going to slump. And what do you do to help this team win when you slump is uh, – big to me. So there's only certain things you could do at that point. It's maybe you could run and you could bunt and you can steal off the run or you could come off the bench and score from first on a regular double and win a game. Or you can prevent runs from happening by uh, playing defense and playing what I love not, and not exactly immeasurable. It's just guys who can play multiple positions. Um, and when I say, you know, everyone should be able to play second that plays short and vice versa, but I Love those guys. They can play second, short, third, and throw on a first base and go out and play over there and go to the corner field. Uh, need it, you know, because I don't want to not recruit another shortstop next year if he's really good. If you can go play third or left, or if he can, you know, just give me those interchangeable parts in a lineup, and it makes us lineup writing a lot easier because you just plug it into kind of all right, one man down, next man up kind of thing. That's the stuff I look for on the road. You know, I think the you touched on a lot of really good stuff that I'm going to unpack here for a couple of minutes, if you indulge me. But, you know, we've talked about this and we know this as as coaches <clears throat> when we recruit, like you look at the metric stuff, like a lot of things can get lost or gained with the metrics, right? Like, you know, we talked, I think we did a, a showcase one a couple of weeks ago where like, you know, the six, six guy, the guy who's going to run a six, six at a showcase is going to have more eyes on him because he flashed that six, six number. Like you could be a six, nine, seven, Oh runner, but you can flat out defend and your first step is better and you can get off the ball and you can defend a lot better than that guy who runs a six, six, but you might not, you might not have a lot of eyes on you. If you end up at one of these showcases where there's 350 kids, 
because you're like, you know, and if you end up in one of those and you play short for four innings of that game and get no balls hit at you, you might not be getting a whole lot of action coming out of that because like you actually play the game at a a quicker level than what your measurables say they do. Like I've seen a ton of guys just like you have who are six, 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 seven, six, eight runners who can't get out of the box and get down the line. And they can't stretch a, a single into the double. Like they won't take that extra base. They're hesitant to do it. I've seen a bunch of dudes who are seven oh runners who, you know, they'll they'll take a gamble on a ball in the gap where, you know, he's running away glove side and he's not going to be able to throw you out anyways. They know it, they take it, and it's a double. You know, like those things you like that's where coaches actually show up and watch, and that's what they're looking for to see if you're going to be able to fit into their type of, of program or offense. You know, and, and you know, the, the, the other part of it, like I've said it on here, I said it when I coached, like you can't be a one trick pony at the college level. Like you can't just, unless you have a super unicorn skill set of some sort, which is you're an outlier at that point. Like you have to be able to play defense. Like we're not recruiting 15 position guys who are all DHs because we're going to end, like we're never going to score as enough, enough runs to win games. Like it's just not going to happen. You know, and, and I think that, you know, how, how many times do you, you know, talk to kids or, or go to events and see things like everyone wants to talk about how good of a hitter they are. Like, all right, man, like, but when you're playing college baseball, like there's really good pitchers too. Like they're going to get you out. Like, the, So if you can't defend and you're going to hit 240 as a freshman, like you're not going to play a lot. You have to understand that. Like, so you need to put in just as much time on your defense as you are on your offense. Because when you get to college, like dudes can defend and, and your like your playing time might not be dictated and likely is not going to be dictated on whether or not you can swing the bat. Because if you like if you have nowhere to play defensively, like you're really limited to one spot. And there's probably three or four other guys who can really roll the pole too. So now you're up against those three or four other guys as well. You know, so you've pigeonholed yourself into one thing. Whereas if you can play multiple positions in the infield, you know, my last year at RPI, we moved, you know, my, our second baseman played short. He played third. Our shortstop flipped over to second because he ended up breaking his arm. So I flipped him over to second and they were like, you can't hurt it anymore. So he played second. Our third baseman slid over like, so our third and like, every, like we just moved people around because we were able to do it, you know, and I, I like, and for me, you know, I'm not trying to not trying to pat my own back here, but like I recruited that way, just like you do. Like I recruited guys that I, that I knew could go play multiple positions that I'm like, he's not just a second baseman. He can play short. If we need him to this third baseman can slide over in second and we can spin double plays with him too. You know, and and that being able to do that at the college level opens up so many more doors and it does make your job easy. Like in some ways it makes it harder as a coach trying to write a lineup, but in most, in most instances, it makes it easier because it's like, all right, I have nine dudes who can flat out hit and play multiple positions here. So, you know, like we would, I would move my, my center fielder could play left. If I pinch ran a dude who could really run late in the game and play defense, like then my center fielders could, or my left fielder would slide over to center, put that guy in left and Hey, we're, we lose nothing here. And you know, so it, it, there's so many things that that go into the college game outside of just the the metric numbers and, and things like that, that most people like you're not going to experience in high school. And you're not going to experience in travel ball. Right. Like it, it's we're paid to win baseball. Or I was you are like you're paid to win baseball games. Like 
when you go into the office at the end of the year and you meet with your AD, they're like, okay, we were uh, not very good this year. What happened? Like, they're not like, Hey, um, you know, Johnny is a little upset that he didn't get a lot of playing time. Like, how are we going to deal with that? Like, that's not a question that gets asked to you. It's how are we going to develop? Like how, what's your plan moving forward to get us to the right side in the win column and eventually into a conference tournament, into the win, into a regional and compete there. You know, and it's those things that we see as coaches. And this is where I think it gets it gets hard to explain what it is that we see when we go to games. Right. Like it's when you do it for as long as as we did and and you have like, you know what you're looking for. And it's it's hard to kind of put into words, but like you can watch and be like, that kid has it. it. It's that compete factor. It's the on and off the field. It's the he, you know every ball that he gets to like he's in the right position and he makes the throw. Like he does, he might not get him out every time, but he's in position. He gets off the ball. He does like, he does all these little things that add up and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah he can do it. You know? And conversely, it's the, uh, he throws a fit when I call the strike on him, you know, in a camp setting, to see how he would react because you're going to face adversity in college. Like we're trying to figure that out in the process. Like we're trying to see, you know, if you're at a camp for us, like we're going to, we're going to call some, weird strikes to see how you react. Like, do you melt down? Because newsflash, it's going to happen multiple times over the course of the season that you're playing. Like you're going to have an umpire who's going to strike you on a ball. That's two inches outside. That's not even close. And if you melt down and give that a bat away, like that's an at bat that we gave away that, you know, could have potentially scored us runs, you know? So I, I think that, you know, you're, you're, uh, there, there's a lot of really good information there that you just threw out. And I'm just trying to contextualize it for people who might not necessarily who don't know this and they're going through this, that it's not always, you know, yeah, you ran a six, six or you, you know, I, recently I saw like a one, I saw like a one, seven, nine pop time out of a showcase. I'm like, yo, they, some dude just threw a one, seven, one in the big leagues for the first time ever. Like the, how are we having multiple 17 year olds throwing one, seven, nine? It's like, come on. But, and I've said this before and uh, you know, you, you said it, I'm a catcher. Like I, it does not matter if, if the pitchers a one, eight, and you throw it, you know, glove side and high, you're, you're a two, two, like, because we have to catch it. We have to bring it down. We have to tag, like, you're not a one, seven, nine, like it's flashy to, to throw up there, but like, it's not, it's not the reality. You know, I, give me a dude who's two Oh on the bag all day long. We'll, we'll throw a bunch of guys out. It's fine. Like we can, we'll live with that because we're going to control the running game and there's way more that goes into it. You know, I, I think that that's where a lot of people get kind of jammed up in, in this process because they, they want it to be so metrics driven when, you know, we know that that kid who runs a seven Oh and gets off the ball and is good. Like he is, might be a little bit of a better player than that kid's a six, six who can't really do a whole hell of a lot more. Um, you know, so I, I'm glad that you touched on a lot of that, that it's not be like we use it, but it's, it's more of a, you know, we we're, we're looking at a, a, you know, as admissions like to stay the holistic approach to, to what these kids are able to do you know, in game and, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, just like uh, my best advice, if, if kids are at recruitable age and families are listening, it's like, I'm telling you, like the next level you go to coaches have to win. And that's going to be probably the first time you play for someone that their career <laughs> depends on you winning and losing. And winning and losing does not really come down to any of those things we just talked about as far as numbers. It comes down to how that coach wants to win games. So when everyone talks about the quote-unquote right fit, I got to find the right fit, weigh my options. 
Most of these guys don't even know what they're talking about um, as far as the baseball side of the fit. Because I laugh all the time or kids that turn us down who are kind of speedy defender types. If you know anything about me and our offenses, we want to run, we want to create. Um, like we've had the perfect type of kids that would flourish and put up numbers and play in our system, go to places that they don't value that one bit, but <laughs> they're not interested in the fit of the baseball part. They're interested if the fit is cool to post on Twitter or a cool place to hang out on the beach during practice, you know, after practice, which newsflash everyone, it don't matter if you're, you want to play division one baseball. It doesn't matter if your school is in Hawaii, Alaska, South beach, San Francisco, Fordham in the Bronx. You don't have time to go explore the mountains, the beach, the skiing. You'll have that over your breaks, you know, Thanksgiving, um, holiday break. And then you'll have that from whichever school you go to. Then you'll go home and you can go do your things. But they look great on social media and admissions partners do a great job. But if you want to be really great at baseball, um, you better find the baseball fit that also is the school you want to, you know, study what you want to study and at the academic level you can be at. But um, you'll be on the bench or in the transfer portal because you don't play how they want to play. And that's really controllable on your end as a recruit, recruiting, as a person being recruited, every game, we just made a deal with ESPN Plus now. You can watch every inning of every game of ours for a very cheap price monthly during the baseball season. So um, you'll see how we want to play. And I mean, you could watch every post-game reaction of mine last year on our website. You'll see exactly what I value, <laughs> what I thought went well in that game, what I didn't. And I'm sure we're not the only school doing that. Uh, but I, that takes work and that takes time, you know, and uh, the coaches on there constantly talking about the home runs they hit. Um, maybe you don't care about speed and defense and all that. If that's what you do. Great. But that's what the fit is when you're going out there looking for the fit, because we all know if the coach isn't involved in recruiting you or you don't play the way he wants, they're going to find some reason to tell you this isn't the place for you, man. And then that's why we're in this boat we're in with a lot of people. So um, you can do that research. It's like anything else in life. You work hard, you'll be able to find the right answers to things or at least get closer and increase your chances of landing in the right spot versus, uh, well, everybody said this is the spot. That guy's a great coach. I'm going, you know, which is not always the truth. Yeah, I think the, you know, and I, I, I'll semi-pat my own back here, but the, you know, I was talking to Yerby after, after the season was over. Um, and for those listening, Ryan Yerby pitched for for Rob um, this past year at San Francisco in his sixth year. Uh, he played for me for five. Um, you know, we were talking about just like the differences in Division One, Division Three, and things like that. And you know, he was like the one thing that I, I, I I'm super happy that prepared me for Division One baseball and playing for Eric and Rob is that he called you guys coach to play in Tacoma, but. Um, <clears throat> He's like, I've never played like before I played with these guys, like I'd never played for somebody who is as competitive as you are. And like being able to understand what that was like, like prepared me for this level with Rob and Eric because it's super competitive and they're super competitive guys. Like I, I knew, like I had a, an understanding of what it was going to take for me to actually, you know, find some success. You know, and I, I think that it, it holds true across all divisions to like we like we have to win as college coaches like and you're right. The first time you show up on campus, like you're now playing for somebody whose career depends on winning baseball games. You know, so it, you're you're walking into a super competitive environment 
And not only are you competitive with, with what's going to go on, you know, to help win games, but like you also have to compete every day to, to get on the field to help them win games. Right. Like, it's not like you can't, you're not just like, yeah, everyone's going to tell you you're going to play. Like you're going to have the opportunity to play when you get there. And it's true. You do, but it's literally an everyday thing. Like we evaluate what you do every single day. You step on the field at practice. How do you take BP? How are your ground balls? What do you look like in inner squads? What do you look like in coach pitch? What do you do in all these things? Because we're, it's a mental Rolodex for us to be like, okay, like he's a step behind and he's slow and he's probably, you know, maybe a year away. These are the things that we're going to have to work on to get him better in the long run. It's not a knock against you. It's just, we're going to like, we have to get you better so that you can help us long-term, you know, but it's the, like you're, you have to understand when you set foot on a college campus to play college baseball, no matter what level, no matter what school, like you are walking into an uber competitive environment and you need to be prepared for that, which is why, you know, and back to what you said earlier, like you're, you, you guys are, you're trying to somehow validate or, or measure the competitiveness of the kid in the recruiting process. Because if you don't have a high compete factor, it's not like you're not going to be able to last for a very long time in college. Like you, you might end up four years somewhere, but you, you're likely not going to be playing a lot. Like, you know, and who knows, it depends on the, 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 where the kid is and what his, what value he brings outside of that. But from like a pure competition and playing standpoint, if you're not an uber competitive person, like you're going to struggle. And that's just something that's, that's the reality of what it is in college baseball and what you need to, to really know once like that, that's what you're stepping into. You're not going to know what it's like until you're in it, but you have to know that that's what you're setting foot into, into that environment when you get to campus. And the competitive aspect, I feel like we've all created this monster of non-competition in summer ball in a lot of places. I mean, I tell our guys all the time, a lot of times you're even your high school coach, it's not that important to win because maybe they're a teacher and they're making the majority of their salary is from their teaching. They're not going to risk that salary to win a baseball game by being hard on somebody. And then the summer coach salary depends on you being happy and sticking with the program. Uh, you don't really get coaching for the sake of like what we mean by it at the college level until you get there. And everybody we talk to in the recruiting process they think they're great competitors, uh, but a lot of times things have been going well <laughs> when you're really athletic and good. And it's easy to compete when winning, but to me, like, we need to find guys that, like, you got to be willing to lose to be a competitor. And I, a lot of people aren't willing to lose anymore. Where It's not their fault. They come up in a time where almost their whole lives have been on social media or being judged by videos and getting their friends approval and how many likes you get losing is not part of that, you know, but when you're a ultra competitive person, I always go back to like the last dance. It's a Jordan year after year of getting pounded into the ground and uh, losing and going back out there and facing the music and standing up to it at the end and say, we're, we're going to fight to get over this Detroit piston hump here. And finally they do, you know, and then Everyone wants to say they're Jordan because he won six titles, but he lost for seven straight years chasing that. And a lot of people aren't willing to take that beating. A lot of people now aren't even willing to put themselves out there at the risk of losing. In team, we'll play like football as a team. We'll play ping pong as a team. And like you see it, right? Once the losing starts, you fall behind the excuses start or 
I wasn't really trying anyway. That some version of that comes out. It's just not cool to lose. Not that it was ever cool to lose, but to me, there's a lot to be said for people that are willing to go out there and put themselves on the line and risk losing. Like with our personal individual meetings today with some guys, I commended the few players on our team that know they either came in as freshmen, flew across the country on non-guaranteed roster spots and had the guts to come out here and say, you're giving me the fall. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to take my chance. You know, that to me is special. It's rare. It's more rare nowadays. More kids I talk to, it's like, well, you're only offering me a preferred spot. You're not even giving me money. You have nothing. I'm not taking that risk. And it's like, you know, that's, that's not a competitor. Don't tell me you want to compete then if this is the place you want to be, you know? So hopefully kids understand that, but yes, it is. That's why, like Keith, you said, like we have to watch everything because everything has to, if you're not competing in every aspect you do, uh, it's probably going to translate later into me putting you out on the field and we, we lose a game because you didn't have something deep down in you that we needed. And at the end of the day, that's my fault. That ain't your fault. And I, I have to put everything together to figure out who those people are going to be moving forward. Yeah. I think this segues into a pretty good question, Rob, is you've, you've been doing this for a long time. You've seen a lot of kids come on campus as a freshman. What are some traits that you see in guys that go on and be successful? Uh, it's, that's a good one. Um, obviously, they come in, obviously, with a certain level of talent. But it's honest. It's really who's willing to listen and who really – the best you could be in baseball, um, I always say, like, if, if we bring in the right types of kids and they're listening to us and we're coaching them and we're not winning and they're not developing, then we're the problem. You know, we're not doing right by them because they're willing to get better and they're willing to put the work in. But really uh, the common denominator, it's, it's hard. It's hard to focus. It's hard to want to be great. Uh, those are the traits that you can, you can tell, right? You can tell when they walk in your office and can they lift their head and make eye contact with you? Are they scared to death? Every time they walk in the coach's office, are they, I mean, the first time that's one thing, but if it's the seventh time we've had a one-on-one conversation and you're still nervous around me as the head coach, then you're probably not going to make it because I'm going to be at every game. I'm going to be standing at the dugout and be watching everything you do. Uh, but that, that common thing to me is you just, it's like we've been saying, right? There's just something in there where you're like, that guy's going to be able to handle something. That guy's going to be able to handle adversity. And I think that's the number one trait you can have is, well, probably two things. It's that when something bad happens, how do you handle it? Is your attitude and mindset almost in that? I think uh, Ken Revisa and those guys in the mental training always say you want to respond with the word good. Like, oh, we gave up six runs in the first. Good. Watch me come back. And it's it sounds dumb, but it's the right mindset because a lot of those down six runs in the first moments happen your first month as a freshman in life on campus and then on the baseball field. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's the ability to bounce through some of that stuff. And then really all of us in life, it's knowing what you are and what you aren't. And if you're going to continue to try to be something you're not or be more than you are or try and be the next guy, I mean, it ain't going to work. You got to be the best version of you. Uh, we all made that mistake. Probably as young coaches, you'd watch a documentary, you'd watch a hard knocks. You were going to go in and you were going to be Bill Belichick the next day. And then you were going to act like Casey Stangle and you were going to be, and yeah, you could take 
I mean, my whole coaching philosophy is bits and pieces of all our friends and everyone we know and coaches you watch on TV. Yes. But if it ain't authentic to you, it ain't going to work. And that's the same as playing. Like, you're a guy who can bunt and slash and get your way on. Stop trying to be the guy hitting it over the fence. You're not an exit velocity guy. Who cares? We've got to score one more run than the other team. You know, and I think players who are comfortable in their own skin, both on and off the field, know what they are. Hey, you got to be pretty good at something to get to our level, right? I mean, get to all our levels. There was something you did good on a baseball field, but now you got to make sure you continue to do that well and just keep adding to it. But those are the traits, man. Like if you're lost, you show up and you have no path, no belief system in what you are. You're just going to go down every path that the next guy tells you is the right one. And that's to me, you're just chasing it the whole time. So uh, those are definitely like some of the best players that coach kind of had that from day one or had a really adverse situation that they didn't handle well and used it as that springboard learning experience that we all had to overcome. I'm sure you guys have stories of like someone who got in a fight or did something really stupid the first couple of weeks. And you thought, there's no way this person's going to make it. And they 180 and turn into one of your leaders a year or two later. It's probably because of that adversity that they did. Yeah, yeah. the best ones usually, they they handled something. They all had to come across something. Like, you know, even the dudes who end up getting drafted and signing for a bunch of money, there's something in their story where it didn't go exactly how it was supposed to go and it didn't deter them. And they, it was either an eye-opening moment that they flipped a switch and went to another level or they had that confidence that you're talking about that, hey, I know who I am. I can get through this and it's going to be okay. Um, and we've all seen the flip side of that where this super talented freshman comes in he gets there and realizes, oh, wow, I'm not the best player on this team, and they never recover from it. Um, or they're just, sorry. like, over, overconfident and never really had to deal with that much adversity, at least on the baseball playing field, and it's come kind of easy to them. It's not their fault. It just always came easy, and now it's not so easy anymore. Or they were the we're, – we're all guilty of this. They're the big-time recruits, so you've been – Nowadays, we've got to be best friends talking to these guys for two, two and a half years before they get on campus. And then they realize, oh, oh wait a minute, you're not my best friend anymore. <laughs> you're the guy that I have to be coached by. And it's not to say guys get to campus and we totally flip on them. But I make sure in these first week of meetings to tell them, listen, the sense of accomplishment is over. The sense of me having to get you here is over. We all know what we signed up for. Now my job is to get you to your your personal goal and for that to happen you want to be a pro like that takes someone getting on top of you and some guys can't really handle that and they say all the right things but the actions never align with with that but somehow you know there's both of those and then there's those times where the adversity hits and they never get through it you know and those are the quote-unquote busts or the man how did that not that guy not pan out at that place and we've all seen that and Maybe it's bad coaching. Maybe it was a bad mix, but it's really hard to know. Thirties about those guys. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know what's in there all the time. You know, we're going to make mistakes. You could be a hundred year veterans, but still, um, some real stuff hits. And the environment you create is important as a coach, and there's just there's always going to be those cases where it just doesn't doesn't work out for one reason or another. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the the biggest thing that we're the three of us are driving out here, which is very true in the college game, is that like no matter who you are, there there's going to be some semblance of struggle at some point in your career, right? Like no matter whether you're coaching, you could be a coach listening to this or or, or a player. Like you're going to struggle at stuff. Like you said at the top of this, like. There was a chance before you got the Fordham with Kev that like you were going to be out or coaching high school. Like I left Siena and started coaching high school baseball because I, I didn't have any other opportunities at the time. And, you know, if I could have, you know, quit and done that, I, I got back in and ended up being head coach at RPI and having some success. So, you know, at some point in time, you're going to face adversity in this game. Like, you know, and you say it a lot. And I think as coaches, we do this. Like, There's a lot of parallels in this game to life. and you know, I'm sure you draw on it when you talk to your players. Like it's, you, you're going to face it. This game is so tough. Like it's a game built on failure. I've said it before. It's stupid. You throw a sphere into an imaginary zone and some dude tells you whether it's good or not. Like it's a stupid game. It's the, it's the best game in the world, but it's stupid. Like if some of you, when the aliens that are out there come down here and we're like, listen, this is the best game ever. They're going to be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Um, You know, but it, there's, there's a lot of truth to it. Like there, you know, you're going to face adversity on campus when you're playing college baseball at some point in time and how you respond to it and how you handle it is, is really going to determine how successful your career is going to be for the four or five, seven years now that you can play baseball. Honestly, from my, my perspective as a coach, I do acknowledge that. And now being a head coach, there's the big difference being an assistant coach to a head coach, and it's a hard adjustment. Uh, I absolutely loved the time at Fordham and working with the offense and the infielders, and I felt they had these great relationships and always critiquing what Kevin, our head coach, was doing like it was easy, and I had all the answers, right? And then um, move along to the – move down to the next seat on the bench, it gets a lot harder, but I've really embraced the idea of it's not so much that X's and O's tactical stuff. I mean, your assistants could do a really great job of that. That's their job to learn all of that stuff. But I embrace I don't want people to be on this call thinking like, well, my son or I, I asked the player better learn how to handle adversity. Our job, and I think it's my number one job, is to prepare you. <laughs> and selfishly, I'm preparing you for adversity in baseball, but I think in terms that is going to prepare you for adversity in life. Uh, we've all faced three of us. I guarantee sports is what got us through our experiences in sports. And for the coaches we worked with or played for both is what got us through tough life situations. Right? I mean, that's you were prepared for it. You handle things, you learn how to deal with failure. You learn, man, that umpire really screwed me. Life ain't fair. I better find a way to get, get back up there and fight this thing off and stay in this fight a little longer. And so I do acknowledge that if you come, if you do end up in our program, you will learn how to, at least you will be given the tool set or, you know, taught how to handle different situations. Now, where the gap happens is I think some players don't take it seriously, don't focus as hard on that as they might with their swing or their fielding or their throwing. And by the time you face the adversity, if you have not trained for it, like you've trained for ground balls and fly balls, you can't just be ready to hit and be ready to field and pitch on game day because the other team showed up. And in adversity, it's whenever that storm hits, you didn't prepare for it, 
it's really hard, you know? So that's definitely my job, but same thing. If I was teaching you how to hit and I'm giving you really good advice and you don't listen, it's still on you at the end of the day. It's your career as the player, but I don't know if every coach does that, but there, that is something I firmly believe in. And I've gotten, yeah, it stinks. I love baseball and teaching guys tactical stuff and digging into the weeds on scouting reports and what the other team's doing. But I've really learned that's not, if I'm doing that, I'm not doing my job as the head coach, preparing my guys for what I can control in that moment. You know, I've got really qualified people who can teach them how to hit, pitch, field, grow, and, you know, tell us what the other team's hitters are doing. But I, I feel like we've got to be very strong at all of those things together. Yeah. You know, I, I, you're, you're dead right. I, you know, there's, as when, when, when you are the head coach, like you're, you're, it, it, I know, you know, it's a far different experience in coaching than it is as an assistant, but like, you know, and I'm sure you do it just like I did. Like I would tell, like you came into my office and I'm recruiting you. Like I'm telling you, like your, like my goal is to get you to be the best baseball player you could possibly be, but I'm graduating really good kids who are going to be productive members of society who have the tools to be able to be successful in life. Like that's my ultimate goal. Like, you know, even if you come and play for four years for me and you don't play a whole hell of a lot, but you're a really good kid and you, you show up every day and you compete, like we're going to be good. Like those are the kids that like, you know, that, that, those are the, like, that's, you know, some of the most rewarding experiences I've had are parents who are like, you got him. I don't know how you got him through this school. Like, he had no business graduating from RPI, like, you know, and didn't play a lot, but was a phenomenal kid and, you know, showed up every day. Like those are like, those are some of the most rewarding experiences as coaches. And I think that that, like, you know, you're right. Like that's where, you know, it's not like, we're not just hammering home. We're like, you're right. Don't think that we're just hammering home everything. Like the, the goal for, for really good coaches. And I said at the top, like you're a phenomenal human being too. Like the goal is to get these kids out the door in four years to, to be really good kids and equipped to be able to handle a lot of things that they're, they're going to be thrown at them and you can do it through this sport. Um, all right. Last question. Um, what advice would you give to somebody going through the, the recruiting process right now? My advice is take ownership in your career and you, as I alluded to it earlier, uh, I like to tell our players, we are no excuse culture. Like things are going to go against you. We, we will not accept excuses. And Coach Eric on the pitching side will not accept you saying my bad or I'm sorry. It's just not something we're ever going to do. Like you take ownership. We all know if you messed up. But as far as your career, this is you. And if the work you put in is what you're going to get out of it. Jealousy on my end, because you have all the access in the world to pretty much every bit of information of truth. If you open your eyes and don't be blinded by what is out there or what social media tells you, like you can watch games, depending where you live, you can probably drive to some games. Um, talking to a coach via email is not the same way they act on the daily with their team, practice, interacting, uh, Go there, see what's going on, do your research, uh, take some accountability and pride in your career. It's not just going to happen. I'm telling you right now, we've entire coaching staff on the road through the course of summer, see a lot of players we like, and even ourselves, whose career depends on bringing in good players, forgets about someone you saw a month ago or has to get reminded again. You know, I did see that guy on the you know, right after Father's Day at a tournament on June 19th, you know. So um, 
you're never going to be annoying coaches. I mean, if a coach tells you they're not interested, then you got to turn the page and stop, you know, going after that dream, at least for now, maybe go to a lower level and circle back, which is now a more realistic thing, transferring and all that stuff. But um, you need to take control. And then everybody kind of still laugh when we invite kids to our own personal camp at our school. And that's my best piece of advice. I don't know if you guys agree uh, from your perspective, but once you kind of have a, a feel for the couple schools you're interested in, the absolute 100% best investment of your money on top of your own development as a player um, in weight room and on the field and all that is getting in front of those coaches at that school, going to that campus and kind of combining the whole experience. Um, hopefully during a, maybe the school year where some players are involved in the camp as well and you could pick their brain, but you don't even need that anymore because you can access our entire roster of players <laughs> via social media or something. And most of them are going to answer any questions you have because they're just good people. Um, but that that's my advice. And I still get email like we've been told this is a, you know, a moneymaker for your staff or blah, blah, blah. And of course you have to charge the money. It's an NCAA violation to not, um, you know, to have kids show up to your campus for free in division one, you know, we can't just work you out, but I don't see to this day how it's a waste of your money. Um, it's the best thing you can do with your money in the process of recruiting. Now, if you go to a school and unfortunately you pay the price for the camp and the head coach and the top two assistants aren't there, which are horror stories I've heard about some programs. I mean, that stinks, you know, um, maybe if you ask someone who's ever attended that camp or something before, just make sure the people that are doing the recruiting are there. I think that's kind of shady if schools are doing that. But all I can speak for is our end. We just ran our prospect camp this weekend, two days, and six members of our, we have six coaches that were all there. And we had compliments and thank yous that we actually were on the field interacting, talking to kids. That's what we do because I think it's my best chance for two days of getting the experience of coaching you and talking to you and reaching for some of those intangibles that we talked about earlier in this call. I can't speak for everybody, but I do know I've never met a coach at his own camp, saw a kid play really well, like how he acted, and then said, well, he can't be good. He paid to come to our camp. Like, that's not a concept that goes through our heads. So that's my advice. I wouldn't say just blindly uh, throw money around and go to everything in sight unless you can afford it. That's great. But specific to the schools you've done research on, had some contact with, seem to be interested. If you're ready... If you were to get an offer from that school and we're going to, you know, debate whether the price was right, then I think it's well worth your 150 bucks, whatever it is to find a way if you can afford it to get out there and see the campus. And I'm very leery of kids who, you know, they jump in anything they're fast to see. They don't even visit. They don't, you know, they, if a coach has only seen you one time and they're throwing offers at you, you're not the only one they're doing that to. So think about the type of program you're getting yourself involved in. But that is my best advice is take ownership and then go get yourself in front of the decision makers at that school. Because every school has two or three decision makers. And if you can get some conversation going with the head coach, the assistants are going to do a lot of the work. But at the end of the day, never really met a staff where the assistants write the lineup or decide who's pitching all the time. You better have some relationship with that head coach besides day one meeting one, because he's got nothing invested in you in that time. And I, if that's not the case, and I would be very suspicious if I've gone through the whole recruiting process and I haven't at least gotten a phone call, 
I mean, from the head coach. I mean, Eric will do a lot of our pitching recruiting, but he always tells me, hey, I think this guy loves it. We're pretty close. It's time for you to get involved now. And that's how we do things here. But I think that's very important in the process. No, I think you nailed it with those two. And it's something that we talk about with our clients. It's something that we talk about on the podcast. Like ownership's huge. Like you got to understand that this isn't going to happen just because you're good. There's a lot of good players who fly under the radar, do everything you can to stab the chicks in your favor, send emails, post on Twitter, send video, play with energy, all that stuff. And then we're huge proponents of the on-campus stuff because if you're going to the right camp and you're going to a school that either they're showing some interest or you have somebody in your corner who's told you, hey, you have the talent level that's worth it to go here and see what happens. We can get some feedback. Like maybe we know that whatever it is. I think you go that route until you have to go the big number route. And if you plan early enough in the process, if you're a 25 or a 26 right now, identifying schools, going to their actual camp is going to be way more beneficial than going to a workout at the end of the quiet period with a hundred coaches there and you're probably going to get lost in the shuffle. So yeah, you're, you, you hit home on stuff that we firmly believe in. So I'm glad we talked about that before the podcast. You can plug that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like the new rules are interesting, but I, I really think 25 to 26 is should look at it as a positive. Uh, but let, I wouldn't say like the later, the better, but the closer to your actual signing day that you can make some decisions. There's a lot less platform of, runway of things that can go wrong and these guys can tell you the horror stories of that if you get more in depth to it but um, you really have the advantage of not having to like stress the rat race of being forced to make a decision as a freshman or sophomore you can actually limit your list down so when it is time to visit see who's genuinely serious and what you can do I, I think it's a really good thing instead of like we all saw it like telling a sophomore before he's done uh, even able to get a car on his own or anything like that. Like, hey, now pick the college you want to go to before you have 24 hours to this is your offer and then that's gone. You know, that, I think that was tough on kids the kids. Can, yeah, no doubt. I think the kids can focus on being kids and developing. Right? Nobody, if you're 26, nobody's calling you until August 1st next year. You got, you got like 50 weeks before anybody's calling you. Don't worry about all, just, just go get better. Have an awesome offseason. Go make your high school varsity team before you're worrying about getting recruited. Uh, I think it's a good thing. I mean, I'm interested to see the, like, the behind-the-scenes talk of like what's going on, but we'll, we'll leave that for another one. But uh, Rob, can't thank you enough, man. Like, Thank you for your time. Thank you for just your feedback and your responses. You got two huge fans on the East Coast. Rooting for the Dons. Um, really excited to see what you're going to do with that program. And got a ton of respect for you as a baseball coach, ton of respect to you as a person, and really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. Yeah, no, man, I appreciate it. I can see you guys great friends. And you know, when we took over here, it wasn't – there's a ton of people rooting against us, and I know we had a lot of guys rooting for us back from where we come from, just good people. So uh, we're turning that tide. But appreciate you guys in our corner and uh, – Anything we can do for you, um, you know, we're always here for you as well. Awesome. Awesome. Keith, got anything? No. You're the best, Rob. Thank you.
<laughs> well, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, subscribe, YouTube, hit the smash, smash button, smash the like button, smash if you like will. Button. You can follow us on Twitter, EMD Baseball. Uh, and if you want to check out what we do outside of the podcast, go to emdbaseball.com for all your uh, recruiting and, and honest baseball evaluation needs. But thanks for everybody listening. Thanks again, Rob. Uh, really appreciate it. Talk to you guys next week.